Welcome to The Source of Uncertainty. My name is Kyle Swisher. I'm Robert Standifer. And this is our one-year anniversary. Congratulations, Robert. Congratulations, Kyle. Wait, wait, I've got something just for that. Ah, yeah. yeah. Thank you, everyone. Thank ah, you. Ah, yeah. That's, uh, that's all our yeah. listeners. That's, <laughs> yeah. that's what I imagine that to be. They're all, they all come over to my house. They're all outside. They, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Social distancing, be damned. Yeah, they're like, forget it. Forget it all. We're, we got to go cheer on Robert and Kyle in episode 13. Yeah. They, uh, <laughs> they all, that's where all those people from the uh, Trump rally went. That's right. Yeah. Instead. I got over yeah. a million signups <laughs> for the, to listen to this live. <laughs> so look, look, I love this show. I love it. But can you imagine how boring it would be to watch us make this live? You know, oh, when you yeah. come over for a featured module segment and we spend, you know, 12 hours or whatever trying to get 40 minutes of a segment. Done. <laughs> yeah, that's why we just put out the good stuff, yeah. quote unquote, good stuff on YouTube. It's like an hour of, okay, is the is the camera ready? You got that? Oh, no, it went to sleep. Let me turn it on. Oh, let it's me like, just plug oh, it in. Yeah. You kicked oh. the desk. And it's shaking. <laughs> so yeah one year one year still still going strong you know fingers crossed yeah as long as the world keeps up with us and uh but um but yeah you know uh i felt like we peaked pretty early me too you know once we got like you know we had todd suzanne like right off the bat it was kind of just like whoa like where do we (laughs) where do we go from here yeah, it's been fun. Like I am always looking forward to each guest, but um, but you know we kind of we we kind of got the guest. We we did. It, it's amazing, and I love the story of how we got the guest. And you know the we have enough episodes now that when somebody says, "Hey, listen to episode eight, I say, "Well, I don't have any idea what that was <laughs> was about, and I don't know who was on it." <laughs> you have to yeah. tell me. But we remember. <laughs> We remember some of these, you know, especially number one and number two and a couple of others. And I think this is going to be one of the ones that we that we talk about next year in episode uh, 25, I think. Yeah. Like, remember when we had that guy on the show? <laughs> Should we just say it? We got Mort Sabotnik on the Mort show. Mort Sabotnik, yeah. Holy cow. Yeah. Um, yeah, this was a... Um, yeah, I was I was nervous for this one. Because you know, like I said, it's it's the dude. He's there from the beginning. A lot of this stuff sprang from his head. Yeah, and he's kind of a badass too. You know, the <laughs> talking to him in the interview um, was just like he said a lot of things I didn't expect him to say in a good way. You know, mm-hmm. it was really entertaining, really really fun. And I I love the I love that you and I were doing the the this segment this part of the last episode for barry schrader and we're like who do we get for june mm-hmm. and you know there's some names around we're like uh yeah we could probably yeah, i'm sure and I, I think i said or maybe you suggested maybe we should just reach out to mort you know because we now we've talked to people that know him and you're like yeah yeah okay i'll do that and then you get a like a one word reply from them yeah <laughs> Like, yeah, I, I could do that. You pitch this huge, like this this big pitch, and he replies, <laughs> "Yeah, I could do that." 
<laughs> I loved it. It was just like, yeah, I'm just fist punching or fist pumping, almost punched yeah. a hole through my second monitor. <laughs> Getting Damn, so pumped. Su- second monitor. <laughs> spending all that podcast <laughs> money. You know, working from home. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm so tired of, like I say this every episode, it seems like for the past three months, but working in my studio makes work making music in my studio really hard mm-hmm. because at the end of the day, five thirty, I don't want to just swivel my air on around and start making music. You know, I'm like, I want to get out of here. I want to go downstairs <laughs> and play Stardew Valley and snuggle my dog. And then I have to slog back up here for working on the bukla. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm more of like, Oh, I can't, I can't, go and face my family right now and so i just like <laughs> i can't look them in the eye here i got i need another couple hours before i go do that um no actually i have i've made a fair amount of music recently which has been nice i did do a death cult audio podcast yeah um, i know i didn't i'm not gonna lie and say i listened but i know that you did it <laughs> i did it for sure you did it go you um, <laughs> so yeah check that out if you're interested yeah <laughs> yes they're Colt. still out there huh <laughs> yeah i just held up a, a sign that i put it i wrote it on with a sharpie he did said, a thing yeah kyle <laughs> did something <laughs> that's all it takes so i have been making music lately because as any of the millions of people who follow me on twitter will know that um i think it's like 328 people my bucla 200e system is back and working and my preset problems are resolved my power problems are resolved i'm a very happy bucla user and i have to give a shout out to bucla because eric fox and uh, mark and wes they i was bought a module from them and had some problems with it that just was um I'm going to go ahead and accept responsibility and say it was user error on my part. And so during the course of talking with Eric about it, he said, I've heard that you have some pretty bad power problems. So why don't we get that resolved? So I took out the powered bus board and sent it to him. And then three or four days later, I had a, had it back from them and um, they replaced the power, the DC bricks. So my system is purring like a kitten you know i had to do the classic thing of you have to only put the modules in certain places and one of my third-party modules didn't work and that's all okay but all my buco modules work and so then i went on a buying spree and (laughs) bought up like all the modules that i had sold and you know when i had reached the depths of despair of will i ever be able to make buco music ever again so i um i got my 252e and my 230e and my Whatever else E I got. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, did did I say I have a two thirty E? Well, yeah. Oh, oh. Wow, oh. I just kind of slipped that in there, didn't I? Yeah, kind of gagged on my tea there. <laughs> well, I heard you used one in Sweden, and it was critical too, to <laughs> even getting accepted into the program. <laughs> so I knew yeah, the initiation <laughs> patch. Yeah, it's a great module. <laughs> Is that, I think I told you about why I bought it. And it was just like this, you know, Plato couldn't have done a better exposition in his speech. And I think that the recording got messed up. 
<laughs> it was I was this great orator as I regaled you with the story of why I bought the 230e and like the browser tab closed and <laughs> yeah, that's what <laughs> I was just like whoops click in session <laughs> um well it is timely because because uh, Mort used the 230 a ton it did and it's and a so, great module. It really is. Yeah, I, I think probably, you know, us listening to his music leading up to this show for like, I don't know, I digested many, many, many hours. Yeah. <laughs> Just to get ready. So, yeah, I seeped into your brain. and Yeah, the ghost electronics stuff. I mean, all kidding aside, the, one of the biggest reasons I took the plunge was because uh, learning about ghost electronics where um, more pioneered, you know, was one of the pioneers of using um, other stuff to generate control voltages. And like the sounds of the of the things weren't in the music, but the control voltages from those sounds were, you know, it's such a, a fundamental aspect of, of electronic music now, but I didn't really have a way mm-hmm. of doing that. And I liked the idea of experimenting with setting up a microphone in my studio and it picking up the sounds of me living my life as I'm making music. And mm-hmm. using that to generate control voltages. So the clicks of, you know, buttons and patch cables and like you can hear in my segment today, patch cables moving around on my table, you know, and I thought, what if you recorded, what if you uh, input that ambient noise as you're making the patch? And so that becomes kind of the performance, the same way that you hear, you know, violins tuning before an orchestral performance. And that, mm-hmm. that I get that kind of inspiration from people like Morton who, you know, did this kind of stuff. When it was really hard, they couldn't just go to noise bug and buy this module and say, all right, well, now I'm doing what all these, you know, pioneers of the 20th century were doing, and I'm one of them. doesn't work like that. <laughs> so real quick, I wanted to give a shout out to Dunnington Audio. Uh, they just put out um, a couple new, of, I guess revisions. I'd say call Re- them of reimagining, re- reinterpretations of Re- um, reinvision <laughs> of the uh, the two fifty eight and uh, two eighty one, um, and and cool updates to these. So a it's all um, service mount technology on on these uh, for the two eighty one. There, that's like a three board um, clone. If you're building that thing, um, there's a lot going on there. And he got it down to one board, which is wow. pretty neat. And um, and that's got, I think it's got like got buffered outputs or something on that one. And then on the 258, um, I think he overall reduced the frequency range. So you're not going to make that kind of um, that bat, you know, music for bats. You know, it <laughs> gets up there and it's like, well, I can't hear this last fifth of the of the you know pitch knob yeah um, my, so. my dog doesn't like 258 videos on youtube <laughs> so so yeah i reduced that a bit which then helped with um having pitch track um more accurately over you know multiple octaves uh there's also like a designated uh keyboard input for um 1.2 volt per octave and uh there's three audio outputs on each of those um oscillators mm-hmm. and the third one is actually a triangle wave which is cool to have so you can use that to fm the other oscillator on there 
Um, and then on the back, you can also switch um, because it's the top oscillator is a uh, goes from sine to saw, and the bottom one goes from sine to square. But you can have them both be squares or or saws, which is also kind of a cool cool option. That's what Barry Schrader needed. That yeah. would have, <laughs> <laughs> you could have gotten down to like three oscillators instead of using so five they, or six or whatever. Do you know where the panels came from? Because they're beautiful. I was looking at the. The 258 um, on Facebook. Yeah, I think that's gorgeous. Julian at um, Beast. Is it Beast? The, yeah, UK? the Beast. Yeah, yeah the Beast. Um, wow, really? Yeah, so they, I think they've, great. Yeah, they've partnered up. So I think you can go to Dunnington.co.uk. Uh, um, Dunningtonaudio.co.uk. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. Thank you. And then um, you can get PCBs there and then all um, over on Julian's website, the beast, you can actually get both the PCB and, and the, uh, panel as a set there too. So it's really um, nice. And Augustus green did a, an unboxing. Of yeah. It and and, some audio demo too, I think. I'm sounding great. Yeah. yeah so I, awesome. I think that's on their, um, uh, the galaxy electric YouTube page. So track that down too. So yeah, excited to see those kind of, get out into the world um so yeah other than that um we're gonna talk to mort later um we're not going deep into <laughs> you know as we do we, we stick to bukla we don't go th through his whole career i wanted um, to i did but <laughs> he wouldn't let us <laughs> yeah no kind of whoosh, i had to crack the whip on you yeah, Kyle kept muting me when I would ask questions that weren't Buchla related. <laughs> and uh, so, I mean, fingers crossed, there's a Martin Spotnik uh, documentary that's been in the works for a while. It sounds like maybe some editing has began to happen. Yeah, they're in the middle of that. They posted a, about it on the Kickstarter or Indiegogo, whichever one it was. Um, sorry, sorry, for, I can't remember. But they posted the director and uh, producer, Jason Am. And the director's name I just spaced on. They were in the they plowed through the editing. You know, they were working on the other um, electronic voyager. I think it's called about Moog, Bob Moog. Mm -hmm. They're doing them at the same time. And uh, with the lockdown, you know, they've had a lot of time at home, and so working on the editing. And I'm really looking forward to that coming out. I think I contributed back when it was when it was on. You know, three years ago. And I I yeah. had planned a party to premiere it here and you know, the Seattle area and have a concert and stuff. But um, so hopefully we still can pull that together. I know more people now too, which will really help. <laughs> That'd be awesome. Yeah. <laughs> fingers crossed. I think I only knew you at the time. This guy will come. Yeah. You were the headliner. No, not so much. <laughs> we'll get, <laughs> yeah, we're going to get Morton Sabotnik and Barry Schrader will be there and Alessandro Cortini and no, none of them are coming. <laughs> it's Kyle Swisher and that's it. <laughs> so, um, you know, more has a lot of information about or on his own website, which is just mortonsobotnik.com. Um, and you know, there's quite a bit of, um, him in the Edgerman wires documentary. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, and then go find his music and listen to it. It's yeah. pretty mind-expanding. Um, but before that, you know, we're still um, holding our our uh, 
quarantine rules down here. So we're, um, we decided to dig into delays because I've had the 277 uh, signal delay for several months now. And then you got the 1979 delay. Yeah, digital stereo delay, the SD. Yeah. yeah. So since we couldn't be in the same room and kind of go through this stuff together and, and um, you know, dig in on one module, we thought like, oh, let's, let's take a look at our delays. So that's, uh, yeah, that's what we're going to get into. Without delay. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you got to hit huh? the, Wait. hit the button. Oh, there we go. <laughs> Tim, Tim Held is like, I'm a fan now. I didn't care about Source of Uncertainty <laughs> until episode 13. <laughs> and now I'm a fan. <laughs> That's all it took. That's all it took was a, a soundboard. <laughs> all right. So, um, so yeah, we're going to start off with um, me checking out the 277 delay, and then we'll get into Robert's section with the 1979 DSD. Okay, I'm going to talk a bit about the signal delay unit model 277. Um, this is a clone version, obviously. Um, from what I understand, there were very few um, original 277s made, uh, maybe about five or seven. Um, and it sounds like what was behind the panel was a lot of um, maybe like breadboard still attached or something like that. I've heard different things. Um, but yeah, hopefully maybe the MEMS guys or somebody else can uh, come on at some point and, and tell us more about the history of this one. Um, but it's unfortunate, both the uh, delay models that Don made, the 277 and the 288, um, yeah, never really got mass produced in the way that other modules were. Um, and they're both really, uh, I thought, I think really cool. Um, so yeah, I basically, I'm going to kind of break this down first and then uh, dig into some patches. Uh, what I really like about this delay unit, and you know, my history with delays of being a guitar player, delay pedals, um, I've, you know, run through many of those um, from, you know, analog to digital, and actually uh, ended up with a, um, a, a tape unit, and that's the one I've been using for quite a long time. I used to use it with the easel quite a bit until I got one of these, and um and yeah, I love having it with a delay basically within the system because, um, you know, while it's a lot of time at the end of the signal chain to kind of sweeten things up in my mind, um, it is cool to bring it in earlier and, uh, have it make kind of sounds of its own. So, so yeah, to kind of break down, I'll go from, from bottom to top, uh, the, first section on the bottom is the delay time. There's a big knob for that. Uh, it's a pretty short range. Um, and I, I, yeah, unfortunately I don't know, um, the amount of, uh, time you can put on the delayed signal. Um, but it's pretty short. Um, there's also a modulation input and that's an audio signal input. So it's kind of like an FM for the delayed signal. Um, I'll kind of show, yeah, I'll go into that a bit later. Um, 
you get varying results from it. And then there is a, um, a control modulation input that you can, it's a attenuverter that you can then use to change the delay time with CV. Uh, the next section up from that is the, uh, the input mixer. And so you have three uh, signal inputs. So it's three audio inputs that you can then mix in to get your uh, delayed sounds over each of those. Um, and then the uh, top section is the delayed signal outs. And there are four sets of two, and they are all uh, kind of divisions of the delayed time. So you have a quarter tap out, a half tap out, a three quarter tap out, and a full tap out. Um, I think what's cool about this design is Don left it modular to where, you know, to get uh, feedback repeats where, you know, every delay pedal or unit that you um, come in contact to, there's just a knob right there that you can just turn up and that will feed the signal back into itself. And that's how you get the, you know, looping repeats. Um, but with this, it's not so simple. You have to take those delayed outputs, which is why there's two for each of the taps, and you plug it back into the signal input, basically another open uh, section for it, and turn that up to then get your repeats. But um, yeah, what's cool about that is you can really kind of dial in, you know, which taps you want to use, which ones you don't, and then um, and then you can use the secondary taps to then go into a mixer. So you can use all four taps out or you can use one or two or three. Um, so yeah, it's kind of uh, paired back but open. Uh, kind of a blank slate. So yeah, let's uh, let's get into a patch. So this first one's gonna be really kind of simple just to show it off. Uh, I have a, I'm using the 259 oscillator. I'm gonna use both the principal and the modulation oscillator uh, to show this off. So I'll plug um, from the 292 that that's plugged into, um, I'll plug it into signal section A, and that's for, and then I'll plug in the modulation oscillator into signal section B. So I'll bring up the, the undelayed sounds, the dry sounds. So you're hearing that, and so now I will patch a um, the full tap out, the full length of the delay time uh, into the mixer. And what I have to do is bring up the signal inputs for A and B. So I'm now running from the 292 in here to get delayed sign times. So it's set really low. I'm going to now bring it up. So it's just one single repeat. I don't have anything feeding back into um, the third opening on the uh, signal mixer. So that's at about 11 o'clock or so. I'll turn it up to about three o'clock. Uh, so it is a digital delay. It it sounds pretty clean. Um, I 
have the volumes of both the delay and the dry input mixed pretty similar. Um, there is another, uh, a new version of this that somebody has made. I'm blanking on the name. Um, I believe it's called the 277-BLM. Uh, and some units um, from the uh, Roman Filipov uh, clones have talked about, there's a, uh, on kind of the longer tap outs, the three quarter and the full tap out, having a bit of noise with them in the longer uh, sections. I must have a decent one because <laughs> I don't really get too much noise. Now, here we go. I kind of mess with the time and that you can hear a little bit of noise there. Yeah, so it's happening pretty infrequently on mine. So that's great. But, but yeah, I'd love to hear um, what the new version is like. So yeah, whoever's out there, whoever's making this, get in touch. Um, so yeah, this is pretty pedestrian, but here's what I'll show off the um, now uh, making a feedback loop from the uh, uh, from the tap out of the mixer. So now I'm going to bring up um, that. And we can now have it feedback on itself and get multiple repeats. So I'll turn up a bit more and it's going to get to a point where it will, um, it'll, yeah, start kind of taking off and feeding back on itself too much. And there's an overload uh, light that will flash up when you are overloading the signal. There you go. So that was well overloaded and it starts feeding back on itself. Um, what's cool about this, also the mixer input, I mean, you can put focus on, um, like I have that uh, saw wave that's kind of coming in on every first note of the, uh, of the sequence that I have going. I can make that be the focus and I can turn down the other little pings so they aren't delayed as much in the signal chain where the other one is, or I can do vice versa. Turn down the big saw wave. So that's much quieter compared to the other two. Um, so yeah, what? so right now I just have this as like a mono signal coming. What's cool is I have all these other tap outs um, up at the top of the signal chain. So I could bring another tap of that into the mixer to yeah get some other kind of flavor from this so what i'm going to do i'm going to put this into the um the half tap so we'll get another set of uh of repeats um also what i'll do in this case i'm going to pan hard left and right for these two So yeah, you can kind of spread things out, get more of a uh, ping pong effect on this. Bring 
So yeah, this is delaying two signals, but I don't tend to do this too much where I have two independent signals coming in. I usually have one signal that I delay and I use the open, um, because there's only three signal inputs, I'll use two of the open signal inputs to use more tap outs into the uh, signal input and I'll show that now. So I'm going to take out that, that big saw. And what I'm going to do here is actually I'm going to run all of the tap outs into the mixer. So now I've got them, change the timbre a bit on here. Um, so yeah, now I, I only have the one signal coming from the, um, the principal oscillator and it's going, and I have all four taps then going into the mixer. So you get four taps and I've got those kind of splayed from left to right um, to kind of cover the stereo field. So. Now what I can do is I can take different delayed, other delay taps and bring them into the mixer and I can bring two in now. So I'll bring maybe the three quarter one. So you can hear that kind of flangey slur to that. And I'll bring the half tap in as well. I'm going to change the delay time just to get a different feel. So this can be cool, but <laughs> there's a lot of inputs that it's taking up in your, in your uh, 207 mixer or whatever mixer that you have. Four outputs is quite a bit, but you know, for the sake of doing of the demo it can be kind of cool. I'm going to put some pitch into the sequence. And I'm going to change the secondary tap outs. Instead of uh, half tap out, I'll go into quarter tap and the three quarter tap. going to do is now um, yeah show up the kind of delay range what's cool is when you get it to really short delay times um, you can get to kind of carpless strong type of feel and then you can use the mixer it gets really touchy 
at this point. Um, but you can kind of crank these up to get more overtones as they start feeding back on onto each other. And you can kind of get some rings-esque resonant kind of feedback sounds. into the quarter and half. Changes a little bit, but I like kind of mixing them up. So now I just changed uh, input C into the full tap out. So you have a really short, really, really short <laughs> feedback uh, from the quarter tap out and then the full tap out. kind of going right now, but I could pull out some of these taps too. Actually, that's just one of them going. This is the quarter tap and half tap, or no, three quarter tap. drop the half and three-quarter timeout and so I have just the quarter time and the full timeout and those are panned hard left and right and I'm going to show you um, as you've kind of heard in here um, when you're messing with the delay time it doesn't have the greatest <laughs> um, kind of smooth um, sound that you maybe would get with like another delay pedal kind of changing the time. Uh, you get this kind of a lot of artifacts. Yeah, it's not a smooth drift. So when using control voltage to change the, um, to change the delay time, which is fun, which is, you know, part of what I, why I got this thing and was really excited to get it. Um, it doesn't do well with slewed <laughs> voltage or um, like fluctuating random voltage. Um, just, I don't know, it doesn't feel um, like the most musical thing, but it's not bad. I mean, it's a sound. Um, so what I will tend to do um, is kind of trying to use it to my advantage is I'll maybe try and do um, step random with it or I'll 
um, maybe program something on the MARF to change, um, you know, per step. And you will get some kind of crazy um, effects out of that. So I'm using the uh, preset voltage source from the 218 on my music easel to change um, different delay times. So when using a patch, um, I find myself a lot kind of, I'll have one delay time that I like, and then as I'm playing around with that, I might find a second delay time that I like, like maybe a really short one, and then one that's set a bit longer that also kind of works in context with whatever I'm doing. And so I'll set that up on the preset voltage source so then I can just um, press a button and it'll go to the next time. What's cool is also the uh, control input is a, a tenuverter, so it can get, you can have the delay time set long and it's um, on the big knob and then I can set it low or vice versa, set the big knob low and the control input time longer. Um, all right, so one last thing I'm gonna show you before I'm gonna kinda get into another patch is the uh, modulation time, or the sorry, the modulation input here. So I'm gonna take that saw wave uh, that was earlier, coming in here earlier, and I'm gonna take out the um, the dry input. So you're just hearing delayed sounds now. So this is what the modulation will do to it. Um, in like a low frequency mode, I'll turn this up about halfway. You don't get much. There's not... Actually, I'll change the delay time. So this is all the way up. I'm kind of going into um, audio range with the uh, modulation oscillator. And this is that saw wave. And it's tuned up pretty high. So you can kind of hear some stuff, but it's... I don't know what to expect from this in a way. I would think, like, oh, it's a... Like, you know, coming from pedal world, like modulated delays, as if the delay time would kind of... Um, you know, change with this wave. So I was thinking like, oh, I could just put a really slow um, triangle wave on there and that would be pretty cool. But it's, it doesn't give me the, um, uh, the re reaction or output that I would hope for. Um, but it's something, it kind of gets nasty and that can be useful for um, the next patch I show you. So what I'm uh, going to show you now is what I'm calling the full feedback patch, and uh, basically what this is to turn the 220 or sorry the 277 into an oscillator. So I'm going to put the quarter tap, half tap, and three quarter tap outputs into its own mixer inputs. So there's no outside signals coming in here to feed it audio. 
um, we're just going to have these feedback on themselves as we turn up the uh, mixer and that's going to give us kind of feedback but it's self oscillating so it turns into an oscillator um, I then have uh, four outputs going into the 292 and their outputs are going into the 207 mixer so I can have the 292 uh, pots kind of dampen the uh, the signal a bit so I'm going to turn up the first quarter tap So you can hear that oscillating. I can then, um, you know, adjust. I have basically all of the low pass gates at around halfway up, and I can add more high end if I want to. And then I can bring in the other inputs. And uh, since their uh, cycles are longer than the quarter tap, uh, they just kind of bring different textures to the sound, so I'll bring the half tap in, so it changes a bit, and I'll bring in the three-quarter tap in a bit. And what's cool about this is, is we'll just kind of always keep evolving, because we're just doing the feedback here. Um, so this next part, so also what I have going on is um, I have the MARF controlling the control input on the delay time and so I can actually sequence this. So I can start that. And also what I have going is um, every time the uh, the step changes, I have that triggering um, the random on the uh, 208, and that's going into the panning on the 207 mixer, so you can kind of hear it shift left and right on two of the channels. And uh, yeah, and then I've got like a faster paced um, section here. And I also have a square wave uh, low frequency going into the modulation input. And so um, I'm going to stop it at this one next step. And if I bring that in, it also sounds like a, uh, like a vibrato string, like if you're playing a guitar with a lot of distortion. Um, yeah, I thought it was kind of cool. So this last one I'm going to try and get through quickly. 
Um, I think the fun thing about having a delay in modular is that you can take your signal out, your delay signals, and process them further. Uh, unfortunately, in my system, I don't really have any other um, filters or signal processors in here. Um, but I'll, I'll, I'll make do with what I do have. Um, so I have this um, sequence going. And uh, I have one of uh, the full tap out going into another low pass gate. And that is being um, cycled by an envelope and it's in low pass mode. So it gives it a little bit of a quack. Um, let me turn it up. So you can hear a little bit of modulation within there. It's, it's subtle, but it's what I got. Um, what I do have is on the music easel, when you go through the auxiliary in, you can then balance modulate that signal. So I'm going to do that here. Uh, so we're basically going to get kind of like a, a ring mod sound. And that is the half tap out that is getting processed. So when we kind of throw them all together, you can get kind of weird. Yeah. Turn down the delay time a bit. I'm turn up the repeats quite a bit and kind of get it overloaded and feeding back on itself a bit. And turn down the delay time even more, get to the Carpless strong kind of area. I can add a uh, square wave into the modulation section. So yeah, weird stuff, right? So yeah, thanks for tagging along. Um, I hope you kind of get some ideas what the 277 can do. Um, yeah, while it doesn't have a a super long delay time range on it, um, it can be still really useful. Delay is such a simple thing. It's just echoes. It repeats back to you whatever you put in it. And that should be really boring. Imagine having a conversation with someone where the only thing they're able to say are the most recent words spoken to them. But in music, a delay is anything but boring. It adds a richness and a depth and a character that's just kind of hard to imagine modern music without it. Sometimes it's used subtly and sometimes it's overused and to the point of distortion. It's critical to other effects like chorus and flange and reverb. 
in the middle of the 20th century when studio delays were developed, tape, and then later digital delays, a whole new possibility opened up. And now we have it everywhere. We have it in our DAW, we have it in modules, we have it in stomp boxes. A delay can take a simple sound and turn it into something lush. Today I'm experimenting with the 1979 digital stereo delay, and the sound source right now is the Xeroscillator. Here's what this sounds like without the delay. Not a bad sound, but it really comes to life with that delay, doesn't it? The digital stereo delay is based on the Allwright device's Chronoblob V2, which is a Eurorack module. In an episode of a Podular Modcast from last year, where it was the uh, Buchler Red Panel Focus episode, we played with the Chronoblob and I expressed to Tim Held just how cool it was. And with this being in you know Buchler format with banana jacks and and you know just fitting right into my case. It's just a very natural extension of my workflow. So first, let's just take a look at the shape of the DSD. So this is a digital delay with um, clock sync and an FX send return. And um, it's got some pretty cool features um, that I really like. For example, uh, starting at kind of the top left, there's this switch that says vintage and modern. And that changes it into changes the, the sort of the mode of it, uh, not the delay mode, but the, the characteristic of the delay. In vintage mode, it, it acts kind of like a tape delay, and in modern mode, it's um, like a, a digital delay. And so, as you turn the time-based knob to change the time of the the, um, the, the base multiplier or divider of the delay, it has a, an effect on that, which is really fun. We'll, we'll give that a listen in a bit. It also has. Um, the clock input, the pulse input for clocking it externally. And then it has four delay modes, mono with FX send, dual mono, uh, mono with a feedback loop, and dual ping pong delay. Then it has um, two delay time uh, potentiometers with CV control. They control the delay time for the left channel and for the right channel. And it has a feedback control with CV input and delay time. With, uh, or I'm sorry, delay mix with CV input. And then it has a freeze pulse input with a button so that you can uh, use it kind of like a looper. And then two tiny jacks inputs for left and right, two tiny jacks outputs for left and right. The right input is the return for the FX send, and then the right output is the send so that you can add something like a 285E or 296E or, or 297, an effects, audio effects uh, module. You can add it to the mix for this, and we'll explore that too. So to kind of jump right in, I've set up a simple Berlin School style sequence with my 252E polyphonic rhythm generator. And it is just going out to the studio.h 
dual programmable oscillator, also known as the 258E. And then its output is going into the 292E, which it, that output is going into the DSD. And I have the DSD in dual delay mode with the left and right channel going to the um, A and B, the number one, signal input one and signal input two on my 227E. And then those are panned left, hard left and hard right, uh, respectively. Okay. So let's just hear what this sounds like. Just kind of a real classic sound there. I'm going to make a small change. We'll go to um, step. I think that is one, two, three, four, five, six, okay? And then I'm gonna make that a ratchet. So instantly kind of recognizable Berlin school style of uh, delay on that sequence. So that that's, it was really easy to set that up. All I had to do was um, just set the the time base to about two or three and the feedback right around the middle. Um, and I'm clocking it with the 252E. And that, that's pretty much that. So and that can mess with things like the feedback, which quickly gets overwhelming. And I don't think sounds very good. And this is the, what it sounds like without the delay. Ratchet down to just two. Sounds really good with the two. Okay. So, like I said, real simple sequence. It didn't take much to program that. But now let's kind of go in a, a little bit of a different direction. So I'm going to change out the 258E for my Xeroscillator. So I'm using the Xeroscillator in quadrature mode. So the output from 90 degrees, or I'm sorry, 180 degrees is going into the left channel and the output of 270 degrees quadrature is going to the right channel. If you're not familiar with the Xeroscillator, it's a really cool uh, through zero FM oscillator with a built-in VCA and tons and tons of modulation and, and um, it's capable of some really crazy sounds. But I wanted to use this for um, the, the segment because modulating the, or doing all kinds of things to modulate the, uh, the FM, you can get some really cool long tails with the delay. So I have this being modulated by the, the FM, um, the uh, 258E's oscillator A. So I'll bring that up. And so as I turn the 258E's um, frequency knob, you can kind of hear that fast delay in there. So I'll clock this externally or internally in the DSD.
It's kind of a that classic sci-fi sound. So if we turn the time, I'm going to put the time, the DSD in vintage, and then turn the time base up to like divide by six. A really long delay. So that's really cool. And the Xeroscillator has its own uh, VCA built in. So if I take a like an envelope from the 281E, so that's just a looping envelope from the 281E into the uh, dynamic input, uh, the index input on the Xeroscillator. And so to delay it back. So I, earlier I of course had the 252E um, driving the, the studio.hdpo so I'll take that CV output from the 258E into the Xeroscillator and start that. Which is kind of weird. So now I'm clocking the 281E with the 252E, and then that 281E envelope that's being clocked by the 252E is going into the VCA and put on the index and put on the Xeroscillator. So, by the way, we post these videos of this on YouTube, and as a Patreon subscriber, you can get them as we post them, otherwise they come out in two months. And so watching the video of this might help a lot with understanding what's going on with the Xeroscillator. So now the, um, the envelope is turned off because I've taken out the 281E, but there's still like this little, there's like a fast delay, like an, just an imperceptibly fast delay that's making kind of like a reverb. And as I take that out... So going back to the 258E, I'm going to put the DSD into ping pong mode. 
and set the delay to about 3x and start that sequence. So if you're listening in headphones, you'll hear that delayed kind of jumping between the left and the right channel. I'll slow it down. That's cool. So I'm using in-ear monitors, and um, so it's very noticeable to me. Change the delay time to. So now you can really hear it, I think, where it's kind of jumping between left and right. So that's so cool. So now that we've kind of just explored the super duper basics of this, let's go and see what we can do with an effect in the middle. So I want to do a send return from the um, DSD, and I'm going to go into my 291E triple morphing filter. So I'll stop that sequence for now. And so what I need to do is take an, an output from the, or take the R send, should go into my 291E, and then the 291E output goes into the uh, return input on the DSD. And I put down my cable and now I can find it. Here it is. <laughs> okay. So let's see what happens. Oh. Let me move that. I'm in, uh, let me go to mono mode. So here's the dry signal. And when I turn to, um, all the way to, to clockwise for, um, the, the delay mix, we'll hear the fully wet mix. So that's what we're going, that's being sent out to the, um, the 291E and back into the DSD. So now we're getting some pretty incredible feedback. So this is in the feedback mode of the uh, feedback delay mode. That's pretty cool. The um, 
the frequency, bandwidth, and amplitude are being modulated by a sine wave from the 261E mod oscillator in the 291E. Okay, so this, see, there's a lot. There's a lot you can do with this. I'm going to switch it up yet again. I'm going to take out the input from the 291 from the 292E. Basically, the, I'm removing the 258E from this equation, and now I'm going to put the 272E radio tuner, the polyphonic tuner, as the input. And I'm going to take a pulse output from the 281E. You can hear all my patch cables bouncing around. And make this cycle through or advance through the radio stations of the polyphonic tuner. I'll slow that down so you can hear what it sounds like here. That's also going through the filter um, send return loop. So why don't we take that fix loop out of the mix. You can hear that doing its thing. I'll put this back into a left-right. So now I'm going back into dual mode. And I'm going to take a, the other another channel of the polyphonic tuner and put it into the R channel of the DSD. And I'll use the same pulse to advance that station as well. But so they're different stations. You can hear that. craziness. I'm changing the time delay, the delay time, for the left and the right channels independently. So what you're hearing are just little tiny snippets of radio stations here in the Seattle area the two different stations at the same time that um, the 272E picks up and um, because of the delay time which is set to about times four you're, you can kind of tell that there are some, there's you know, singing or speaking there somewhere so that's really really interesting I think change manually just changing the radio station to our local NPR station which is also jazz so you can hear there's some music in there 
and that really cool long that long delay tail. So the delay is set long enough that that piece of music that was on 88.5, the, the jazz station, is still in the buffer. That's really neat. Okay, so I'll take that second channel of the 272 out, and I'll put in the Zero Oscillator. that the 272E would be kind of an interesting um, thing to explore here because you can imagine it as you're bringing an external sound into the bootleg. And it's not a dis necessarily a discernible sound. You're not listening specifically to a piece of music that's being processed by the bootleg, but rather just a tiny snippet of a moment on a radio station that's unpredictable and that's brought into the system and used to accentuate the delay or the accentuate the delayed signal of the more standard uh, zero oscillator. Introduce the 258E that started it all. So I'm not modulating the DSD with CV at all. Um, definitely could do something interesting with the time delay independently for each channel using like an envelope follower. Um, a couple of other ideas that I really wanted to explore but simply didn't have enough time was using the infinite phase shifter, the 297, in the effects loop. Um, during the planning for this, that creates some pretty insane sounds. And I think that it's um, just really interesting to explore the DSD as a sonic device and not just something that's at the end of a signal chain. 
you know, the, these two sounds that are very different mixed together uh, could be heavily processed in, you know, the rest of my system. This has been a lot of fun, and this is a great module, and I look forward to really, really fully under I say this a lot, but really fully understanding how this module works and how to get the most of it in a predictable fashion. Today on the show, we have the legend, Morton Sabotnik. Morton, thanks for coming on the show. You're welcome. Thank you. I'm really excited to have you here. So, um, as we kind of have mentioned before in this um, episode that we're doing, um, all the different <laughs> stuff for um, people to go check out of yours, I think what's what I really appreciate you is you do a lot of interviews and your history has been pretty well documented. Um, and hopefully there's a documentary coming about, uh, hopefully soon. And so we're really just going to try and get nerdy today with, uh, with the Bukla. So thinking back to when you first kind of had the, the ideas for this electric music box, um, I'd heard you mention that, you know, once you met Don and you kind of started talking about it, he had ideas for it too. How well did your ideas mix together or were you coming from kind of two separate areas? Um, I actually uh, didn't know his ideas at the time. He, I only know later that he was interested. I mean, when, when we first met was the, the result of a, um, a chronicle um, want ad to mm -hmm. get engineer and we had i think only one person who came before and uh, don appeared and i found out later that <clears throat> from don that he had actually not answered the one ad but was coming to borrow a tape recorder but i didn't know that <laughs> and um and so we had um ramon and i had outlined a um uh, um, an idea that that sort of represented what we were after and um and don said well i can do that and the next day he came up back with this thing and and we began to work and i really didn't know anything about him at the time mm -hmm. he, he he wasn't exactly forthcoming with with all kinds of talking and so we just worked and it was years later that when we were doing interviews together that um he said, well, he, you know, he wanted to do something like this and that's why he was interested. So he did have ideas and it was clear that he, that he, he, he certainly didn't, didn't know more about what I was talking about than I knew. Um, I mean, I didn't know anything about electronics. So, I mean, he was dealing with the various issues, but he didn't really bring anything in. He, he really, um, uh, listened and, um, and as he as we moved on, he had really great ideas about interface and things like things that I didn't I didn't have any knowledge about um, that he mm -hmm. brought into it. But that was all in the in the process of of developing the ideas that we 
that we were looking for. Yeah. So, I mean, essentially it is maybe, yeah, your ideas and then his, his interface. That's kind of the, the collection of it. Um, well, well, the, what I was after, Ramon actually didn't didn't continue. We he just we we went through the initial thing, and then Ramon really wasn't interested in pursuing it because it was a huge project, and uh, so it was basically Don and myself. And um, from the beginning, the the kinds of things that he brought, the ideas that he brought to the table were. Um, ideas that I was not interested in. He wanted to build a musical instrument, and I was not interested in building a musical instrument. I wanted something that was that was neutral, that didn't suggest keyboards or flutes or any kind of instrument that we knew. And it was it, I was thinking of um, uh, what I, I didn't know the terms at that point, but it was basically um. um post-production instrument where you you created you were playing but you were only creating little bits that you would then build up and eventually turn into something and this okay. end result would be a, a recording it would be for i was looking at the the end i mean we're talking about a period where electronic music didn't exist i mean it existed at the studio um, you know, with with a couple of oscillators and things, but there was yeah. no synthesizer um, as such. It was there was no there was no ARP or Moog or or you know there wasn't anything. So yeah. um, I was thinking that that this was that this was not tied to a traditional musical instrument thinking. That was more of a, ma a machine. What I what I had in mind which I didn't know even to articulate at that time, was an analog computer. That's what I was looking at, music-based analog computer, um, where you, you would set up something and create an instrument for a moment so you would play a thing and then put it on tape, and then you would come back and put something else on tape. So the whole thing was a process, of a post-production process, where and now it's... It's, it's just normal, but but at that point, you know, we were inventing the whole idea, and 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 he was thinking of a musical instrument that you would sit down and play in public, and so we had that discussion. That was the only discussion we had that we didn't agree on. But I was commissioning it. I didn't have any money, but we were commissioning it. So he went with my thing, with my idea, and so we we stuck with that all the way through. And yeah. you can see it. You can see it from the instruments that he made after the 200, that they were actually instruments. Like the, um, um, you know, he actually had names for them, and and uh, he even had a black and white keyboard instrument at one point. So um, it, his thinking was fine because he 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 was working. He did just what we said. You know, he, I was commissioning. And he didn't argue. We, we had discussions, but, you know, we just went ahead and made it. Yeah. So, and you were kind of, I think you, I read, like, you were kind of at a point in time where it's like you were not into maybe uh, wanting to perform. So, I mean, it, which would say, go to your thought of, like, I just want to do this, like, this is more of a studio 
environment. Yeah, I, mean, I, was, I was looking at it as a creation instrument of making a new, new music. The music that belonged in the concert hall, well, I mean, I was performing, you know, all kinds of music and, and, and um, uh, with instrument, with you know, with the clarinet, but, you know, with other instruments. And so I was thinking of, you know, the, the composer who writes on a page and hands it to a musician who plays it in public, I was thinking, you know, that's going to be fine. That's growing out of hundreds of, you know, tens of thousands of years, if not 50 or hundreds of thousands of years of um, music making that, that evolved into where we were at that point. I saw this as a kind of ground time zero where a new, we didn't need to be using a flute, we could, we could, which, you know, as soon as you add a flute to it, you've got a scale. And um, mm -hmm. I was thinking tech, with tech, the technology that was coming before us, this technological age, we should be able to make something that didn't evolve, that we're, we start with at this moment, and it'll evolve from this moment through the technology. That, so I, I was trying to be neutral from, from in that respect. And, um, and it, it, you know, the instruments were made to play for people, but the, the te with technology, you, the player, a record player is, is, is what it is. It plays the music you put on it. it, it you shouldn't be doing Beethoven string quartets. That was written for musicians to play in public. We're going to make a music for the electronic player of records. It's still it's still a brand new idea. <laughs> it, it has, I mean, actually, um, the 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 the, um, the pop musicians <clears throat> understood better than the classical music um, musicians, and so they they got involved. And in, you know, when you when you got up to um, you know, the, the second rung after the Beatles with the Beach Boys and all those people. They were making these fabulous in-studio pieces that couldn't actually be played. They had to bring a, a truckload of equipment along to be able to play it. <laughs> they, they, you know, I, uh, that wasn't my idea. That was their idea. But in fact, they were doing what I was saying, but they were doing with pop music with traditional scales and things like that. But but the idea was that they got involved in the studio. The studio had to come with them. <laughs> yeah, yeah mo mobile studio. Pet sounds would be um, a, good, a good one for that. I mean, I can't imagine Brian Wilson playing a theremin and a bicycle bell at the same time. That might be pretty tough. <laughs> or you can, yeah, throw the bicycle bell through the theremin or something, yeah. Um, so... Because, you know, from the starting of like meeting Don and getting your ideas and, and actually getting the money to make the, the Buchla box, um, were you just kind of dreaming up patches <laughs> for the year yeah. or two? Um, yeah, well, we spent almost a year on paper. Yeah. And, um, and so he would bring, I mean, I didn't know anything. So um, I, I would, I mean, techno and the technology of it, I was yeah. learning as we went just to be able to talk to him and, um, you know, getting terms like diode and uh, <laughs> yeah, it, it was, it was 
Um, I don't have any hair now, but it was hair raising. <laughs> but um, so as we went, we, he, I wasn't sure we were doing something that was going to work. So, um, and he didn't have money to build it. So, at um, we would we, the patching was something. I mean, I didn't know about how things. I mean, they did. They, things didn't exist, so you know, yeah. nothing I could look at. Well, Moke had made some voltage-controlled modules, so I did. I had seen voltage-control a, a little bit. That was just just beginning, but um, but the patching and all that. Uh, what he brought was um, early on was the differentiation between. Uh, um, audio cables and the control voltage cables, which were the banana cords. That's something he introduced at, at the start when we first started doing it. And that was a big, once I understood the, the what was going on there, that was the beginning of patching. The, the mm -hmm. patching that existed up until that point was, was hard patching. It was more like a switchboard. Um, it, it it didn't have it did, didn't have the flexibility that a um, that a banana cable brought you. Uh, it was it's so cheap and so um, and so dirty, but it's but it allowed you to take one voltage and take it to five different places simultaneously, and um, uh, and to and to process. I mean, the whole idea of of that sprung from the, of the real patching. Patching is two different kinds of things. The telephone patching, which is what most people, including the Eurorack when it first started, mm -hmm. um, was just, you know, you can take this and put it anywhere you want, but you couldn't do multiples of them. The, the, uh, that, that was, you know, you had to know what you were going to patch it to or what, what you might be patching it to. And, and so the idea of a control voltage was... Um, being able to just you know stack them and take them wherever you want, it began to open up the field uh, right from the beginning for me. That's what really sprang the, the, my brain in this, that which which allowed for for patching that Buchla didn't even anticipate in terms of. I mean, I, because years a year later or six months later after it was first built, I'd be calling him on the phone and say, you know. We really needed an input here and an input there because I can't I can't control this thing and so that's how the 200 came about because we, we if you look at the catalog the 100 has a huge number of identical objects not a huge number <laughs> but several that's because we needed more inputs and more more flexibility and finally he said let's let's just do a new one and, and so he he did the 200, which I, it was for me the Stradivarius of it. So yeah, patching was being done on paper, and I was I was formatting. The idea was um, that I would take whatever he had come up with, and I would take it and I would work with it for a week, and I would actually write music or take pieces of music and see if they could be programmed. The idea of, of making new things, I couldn't program a new thing because I didn't know what it was going to be. So yeah. I took the most complicated, like I took a page from um, a, a, a piece by Boulez, which was really complicated, and I managed to 
hatchet in, you know, over a couple of weeks telling him we need to do this and this and this. And, and finally, I, I realized that I could program it. It would be horribly long patenting <laughs> process, but I could do it. I wanted it to be flexible enough to do the most complicated piece of traditional music and, that, and then doing whatever else I, I would have could imagine um, uh, I could imagine doing. So I was doing, I was, patching became the real thing. I mean, that was, that was great. I, I, I imagined, and that's the way I act, it actually worked, is that I could take all the modules we made and patch 10 seconds record it and then take another 10 seconds i mean we were we were doing with one sound at a time and editing so 10 seconds was a lot to to be able to do of a complex thing i didn't know what kind of music i'd make up with it but um but but i i wanted to make sure that there was the possibility of doing anything i wanted at that point yeah so probably so then for those early records like silver apples and wild bull is it more of you is it more coming out of like experimentation and getting to know the instrument well yeah the well the uh the the silver apples was the instrument i got to know with it um i mean i i worked on silver apples for the, the machine was only available about five or six months before i started working on silver apples and i was in transit to New York at that point. So um, we got the one into the tape center, moved the tape center to Mills because we had gotten this big grant, but none of us wanted to be there. So well, Pauline did. Pauline went with um, with Tony and um, I guess Bill. I don't know who went with uh, what the engineer was at the time, but they moved it to Mills and, and um, I went to New York and I had a by then I had already worked with it a little bit and I knew a couple of modules that I wanted that didn't go to the tape center and duplicated some things that it isn't exactly like the tape center, my, mm -hmm. my first one. And um, so he made those, I took that, that to um, New York. And, and so it was just maybe three or four months and I was on my way to New York and I, I started working and I was working on what, eventually became Silver Apples before it was commissioned. I was trying to figure out what to do with the machine and how to do it. So when the commission came, um, let's see, it was released in 67, the fall of 67. So by about, I, I, it took me 13 months to make. So, um, so about a 15, a couple of months before, I was I was already working on what I wanted to do, and when the commission came, I I really went full time into it and worked for thirteen months, and so it was a long period, and a lot of that time was not spent making a piece. It was understanding the bootleg and what could happen. In the meantime, he would you know I would ask for a new module, um, and 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 I would about three weeks later I would get it, you know, and and. Uh, so man, I, what a what, man! I wish I had that power. That'd be yeah. <laughs> it was great. I mean, it, it, this went on for a couple of years this way. Um, um, it was great. Um, and and so yeah, I was learning. And by the time I I finished Silver Apples of the Moon, and and um, I thought that was going to be my only piece. I mean, I I didn't know it was going to be successful. And and 
people would be asking me to make more. So I, I really wanted a full blown thing of everything I could possibly do. And um, the, 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 the main, I, I was pretty much ready to go. The wild bull was, was a kind of um, a lot of things I didn't do in silver apples that I might've done. Um, but I, because the piece didn't call for it. Um, I did in the wild bull, but when I got the touch, which was the third piece, yeah. I realized I had, I had a real epiphany. Um, I, I realized I had made a really, really major mistake. And, um, and it, the mistake was that my metaphor from the beginning was um, the, the composer would be a studio artist, not a, not a composer who writes music for that's going to be performed, but he is making something in a studio that goes out like a painting, but it, it's a recording that goes out. That, that was clear to me. Mm -hmm. and, that, um, and that I would be breathing, breathing life or, or gesturing life into the electronics through these touch plates and the, the, um, and, and things. And, and because of the because of my metaphor of, a, of an easel, I called it an electronic music easel, not the electronic, not the electric music box. That was a name. I didn't give it that name. I, mm. I called it uh, an easel. He gave he used my name later. Yeah, <laughs> I've, I've got one of those. <laughs> <laughs> that was the beginning. And the, the metaphor freed me from all the all the all the things I might have done wrong if I was thinking of writing a piece of music or playing a piece of music. It was an easel. I was using a paintbrush. So it was natural for me to think the breathing of 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 sensitivity, like wow, yeah, was, was my fingers. Mm -hmm. I was a clarinetist, so I did, but I didn't think of using my voice. I only thought of using my fingers. That's where the touch plates came in, and all of that. After I finished the well and was starting touch, I realized, holy cow, that metaphor, which opened everything for me, um, had limited me from thinking about my, my most natural way of breathing life, which is with my voice. <laughs> <laughs> and I called Don, I, I thought I was, it was so, I said, is there any way I can use my, the, you know, the loudness of my voice to make the, the thing. And he said, yeah, I think I can do that. So a couple, three, four weeks later, I have an envelope follower. I don't think there was another one before it. I've never found one. I mean, I've looked it up. I don't think, I think that may have been the first envelope follower. It can't, I mean, he didn't invent the technology, but I don't, th I don't know that there was one before. It doesn't really matter, but, but I got it and that changed everything for me. That really just opened it up. And from that point forward, the, between my fingers and my voice, uh, I just, I went crazy. It was really good. I, I wanted to, um, to ask you just kind of, we were talking about composition and putting in the, like putting Mort Sabotnik in the bucket of being a composer. And we think about composition as something where you, you know, have a vision for what the piece of music is going to sound like, and you come up with the motif and the structure and so on. And in Western music, we work within a 12-tone scale, for example, and um, have orchestration. 
but your metaphor of the painting kind of struck me because it, it, it's shifted my thinking around how something like Silver Apples doesn't have an orchestration. So it, it's not a piece of music that you composed for necessarily for other people to perform. Yeah, it was not ever thought that it it was going to be performed at all. Um, and and we, we can get to that in a, in, a, in a bit because I did go out and perform, but um, mm-hmm. but no, it was not intended as a performance thing. The performance was going on in the studio, but it were performance of little things like exactly if I was going to go, I might make 25 of them. I'd perform them until I got a that just worked exactly right compared to the yo whoa <laughs> that was coming after it. And I didn't know what was com- coming first because I was in the midst of, I had ideas um, like any, you know, any artist would have. I had a general idea, which as I began to create would become clearer. And I tried to avoid anything like you were, we were saying of a, a, an idea for a whole piece. Um, it was like things were going to generate. I had a general idea of what the whole piece was, but not specifically what came first and how it was going to be organized. That I allowed that to develop over a period of time. And uh, I kept that going pretty much through the whole process for the, all, all, the, all the records. So it, it was clearly for me not composing in the traditional sense. I was the composer, the performer, and the listener. And when I got finished, it was finished. And it would go from my studio to someone else's house and on their record player. That's the way I thought of it. Yeah, it's like a piece of art that anybody could purchase. Yeah, like you're sending out prints. (laughs) Continues the metaphor of the easel and the painter. You know, you you don't go to the Louvre and and um, watch a painter paint something, you know, you're right. Can you do <laughs> it again for me now? <laughs> yeah. I mean, the fact is you paint over and you edit and you do, it's post-production. You know, yeah. and as a matter of fact, records became that, you know, a person would play a Schumann piano concerto, but then they'd edit it, all the mistakes out. It would be perfect. Um, yeah. You know, there was a Fats Waller recording early on with records when, you know, at the very beginning. And it's a famous one. I don't know. It was famous in my time, anyway. Where um, because they did, they actually came in and, and played, and they recorded the performance. They didn't make it perfect, so you were hearing a performance. And there's a dog barking in the in the alleyway, and you hear it on the record because <laughs> they didn't do any editing. You were you were actually, in fact, when I was in high school, uh, I had a had a band, and I was doing. 12-tone jazz, and uh, and we went into, um, I forgot it was, it said Hollywood and Vine, it was a famous record store there, where you, they had booths where you went and you recorded on vinyl. So, oh. you know, it was, you couldn't edit. <laughs> That's it. If you didn't like it, you do a new recording. <laughs> so, was Touch still on the 100 at that point? Yeah, Touch was on the 100. Um, I, I I didn't have the envelope follower down well enough to use very much of it. I used it in one spot. There's a spot in touch where the sound flies around the space. It was, it was a quad. It was for Columbia Records, and the, they had the first vinyl. They had the first 
uh, surround sound. They, it was vinyl. They, they, I think it was a double needle. And, um, and so I was able to, and they gave me four track tape recorders, two of them. So I was, I, it really, I, I went nuts. It was really great. <laughs> um, but I, I didn't use the, um, my voice control, um, very much. I was learning it and I, I learning how to use it and what to do with it. And I used it very little for touch, but I'd used it in one spot where I, I would, I made a control voltage and, and Buchla had made, see, we, we were modifying everything. So he, he, he had gone to quad at that point and, um, and we had, and, and he had a spin, um, where you could spin it around. And so I made my voice go, whoosh, and so, and that would make it go boom around the room, and, and then I could, you know, I'd go, and we could suspend it around. And there's one I, I saved it for one place in the piece, and I can't remember where it is now, but it's somewhere. And and the the sound just flies around the four the four channels. And uh, and the reason I remember is I remember it well because after it was done, I was invited up to MIT to, to do a um, um, seminar for um, the students working there and um, one of the questions came about this moment in the piece and what my um, what my um, algorithm was to make it go around like that I said you mean the sound that goes <laughs> around. they said yeah I said well I took a microphone and I went <laughs> it was like I had just I had done something terrible in the room they just could not believe I had just done <laughs> I wonder how you how do you orchestrate that right? <laughs> yeah how do you notate that and, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> everybody funny <laughs> we need a notation for a dog barking and whoosh and <laughs> um did you so I guess after Silver Apples and you were, um, I, I, I'm sure you just started to get a bunch of notoriety and it seemed like you were kind of traveling around doing these seminars and you were opening up musical programs at different schools and stuff. Can you, can you talk about that a bit? Well, it was over a period of time. It was over a period of about. Cause Cal arts kind of started to get set up like in 68. Silver Apples created this kind of, it was it was partly silver apples and in me, but it was partly the time too because the the, the moment the, the moment was uh, you know let, go back a moment uh, when when we were first starting a few years before it was only two or three years before silver apples came out um, it was just a year after I met Don that I started it and. Um, and so we're just talking about a couple of years. And when Don, when we were starting, when we realized that we had something that was going to work, I asked him how much it would cost to make it. He wasn't going to charge anything, but he needed money for parts and, and labor for anyone he hired to help him. And he said $500. And um, it doesn't sound like much now, but it wasn't much then either, but it was more than we had. And so um, I had asked, I was doing, um, I, I've documented this, and you probably know the story, but I, 
I had been brought out by the Rockefeller Foundation from San Francisco to New York several times they, to pick my brain. They would fly me out and give me a small honorarium. And they, they were doing that <clears throat> shortly after we knew we needed $500. And so at the end of my session, I with them a couple of days, I, um, I told them what we were doing. And I knew $500 was too little for them. So I asked for $10,000. <laughs> <laughs> and they said, they said um, yeah, this is the, that's a lot of money. Great foundation. I mean, they, they really were wonderful people. Uh, but he said, um, he smiled and he said, well, you know, no one's ever going to want this stuff. He said, so um, we could we could keep our $10,000. You could have your studio and and we could pay pay people for the rest of time to fly to your studio and we'd still never use $10,000. But the things had changed so much that by the time, a couple of years later, by the time we had done it, every I mean, everybody was thinking this way. I mean, they weren't thinking about they, they were really not thinking what I was thinking, but they were talking about electronics and electronic music. And um, mm-hmm. um, by 1968, Switched on Bach had come out. And, you know, the, the, the whole world was thinking. And as this all happened, I, be, I set up a studio at Brandeis, a studio at Harvard, um, Pittsburgh. Um, it, it was just, it was over a period of two or three years that, that um most people, because by the time um, Switched on Bach came out, we had the, the Moog, which, you know, was there. And mm-hmm. that's what really, because it had a black and white keyboard, it made sense. They couldn't figure out what to do with the Buchla. You know, it was, it was a, um, there were people, and those were the people who were, I was going out and setting up, who did understand. But the bulk of it was coming, you know, with, it was it was really heading toward what it ended up with, which was um, pretty much commercial music at that point, which I don't have any problem with. I think it was great that they did that, but that's not what I was doing. So, um, so yeah, for a period of three or four or five years, um, all the way through, I toured Brazil in um, the first third of the seventies, and and everybody there knew what I was doing. And, you know, it was, it, it, and, you know, in Europe and it, it was small compared to, you know, the billions of records that were being sold, but, but it was huge for anything the, the fine art world had seen, um, up, mm-hmm. you know, it, uh, up to that point. And, um, so yeah, that, that went on for several years and, and I helped design, um, new, well, the other thing was that by 1969-70, I was back in California doing, uh, creating, with a team, creating the California Institute of the Arts. So I was yeah. dealing with new ideas of curriculum and things like that. So it was a combination of those things. And we, having talked to, to Barry last month, it sounded like around that time... Um, you were, yeah, you're setting up a Buchla 100 in there, but you were, were starting to get the 200 yeah. um, stuff personally. Right. Yeah, the, the 100 that he was at Pittsburgh 
uh, I was brought in there, and, and um, uh, I only came in once every X, X number of weeks, and I needed uh, someone who was there to help, and they, they gave me Barry. I think he was doing, he was doing, not doing composition. I think he was in some other program, but but in any case, uh, that's where that's where I met Barry, and um, they, that was the CBS. Um, Buchla had bought the 100 from him. He was working on the 200 at the time. And we were, you know, I was working with him still at that. I worked with him through the 200. After that, I, um, I wasn't, I, I didn't, he went, he went and he wanted to make musical instruments, I mean, electronic instruments. And I, I, we, you know, we talked and I, we stayed friends and we were close, but I didn't, um, I didn't participate in that part of it after the 200. But yeah, we were already, um, I think I, I was starting to get modules. I think you're right by by then. Mm -hmm. And so that was, um, I guess that was around so was, Sidewinder. I can tell you exactly when it was. It was um, um, the, the fall, let's see, the fall of the, the late summer of 69, I went to California, and wow. the, so it was the beginning of 1969, um, January 69, that I went to Pittsburgh for a year, which meant in the fall, in the, in the winter, I commuted from New York, and in the fall, I commuted from California to Pittsburgh. And wow. so that was the year, the, the 60, January 69 was the year. Did you kind of start work on because then so Sidewinder was the first one? So, I, uh, Touch was finished, that Touch came out in '69. Mm -hmm. So, um, before I it hadn't come out when I left for New for Los Angeles, but I had finished it, it was just ready to be issued. So, the first piece I did when I left New York was Sidewinder. And then all, all the rest of them were done in Los Angeles. Okay. And it seems like with Sidewinder, it seemed to become very more kind of sound design heavy. Like you were kind of, uh, or to me, it sounds like real world sounds that you're using in there. Little crickets and yeah, there are no, there are no, there are no, there. That's all electronic. There's no the Sidewinder was the first piece that I used my voice to generate. Um, most of the sounds were not envelope generators. There were, but there were on any of the pulsed stuff, the rhythmic mm -hmm. stuff would have been a, uh, a normal envelope generator. But the, the cries, I would use my voice to generate the envelope for that and then use electronics to make it. So they sound very organic, but there's no actual recordings in it, no samples. Yeah, well, in I mean, I guess it's pretty interesting because um, in fact, there's no, there are no samples in any of the pieces, any of the records. Oh wow, okay. Um, and I, I guess I, it's cool to hear because I, you know, I've heard in the past it's like you know not kind of going down the path of maybe where Moog went, where you're making music that becomes like you're imitating some other instrument, but you are imitating 
kind of real world sounds for Sidewinder. And so I wasn't imitating them actually. Um, I was generating sounds with my voice and um, turning them into my vocal gestures, but with electronics. So you would get, (laughs) and then, so if you get the envelope and the general feeling, I was basically turning my voice. It was, you know, it's like, it was the, it was the breakthrough I had at the end of the period in New York, where um, I realized that breathing life into it wasn't just finger pressure, but it was, the insides of a person and my mm-hmm. insides of me were triggering all this stuff. And then, and then, and then and then spending weeks after making it to turn to, to make the sound exactly the way I wanted it and move through the space exactly as I wanted. And all those pieces were done for Columbia. So they were all quad to start with. Um, um, they, most people heard them stereo, but that's because you know that quad instrument didn't, didn't last the the player, but so yeah. um, they they really, really don't imitate. I wasn't thinking of crickets or um, or anything. It was like um, it was just my voice <laughs> and, and and my fingers at the same time. Uh, but but the big issue with Sidewinder, the Silver Apples was. Um, was this the idea for silver apples was some kind of trip um both a journey and a and a trip uh, mm-hmm. going from place to place things change you know as you go like i thought of myself on this train of sort of falling asleep and waking up and i'm in a, i'm in in a jungle and then i'm here and i'm there and it's so that you could start anywhere and it wouldn't really make any difference that's for side one and side two was this this big rhythmic thing, um, yeah, and um, and and the, and then and then um, Wild Bull was more of a narrative, it was like a tone poem. I had a, a Sumerian poem, and, and I followed that and turned that. The one side was the the woman's world, and the other side was the man's world. And then for touch, I thought I was trying. I was looking for a kind of music that was not based on sonatas or this or that, that grew out of something completely different that, you know, a, a, a sound artist would think rather than, than a composer for instruments would think. Mm-hmm. This was the, the ground, the time zero thing that I was trying to get to. You can't, you can't do something new. I mean, there's, there's no part of your memory that brings it. So you have to trigger that somewhere. So I would, yeah. I use the narrative and then for, 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 for touch, I thought I'll use a word. And the first word that came to mind was touch. And as I began to, I, I won't go into the details of it because I'm, I have it in my memoir that the whole, or the thing is that, that it led to, but it became um, the whole piece grew out of this word, this one word, this, this, mm-hmm. the structure, everything grew out of the word touch. And um, the third, that, that was the third piece, the fourth piece, Sidewinder, I was looking for another metaphor for it. And I thought, well, the record player goes around, you know, and the, 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 the thing, the, the, the grooves that go around 
and it spirals because it's, it's, it doesn't go around in a single place. It keeps going. So I thought, well, I'll make a piece where there are a bunch of, of these large loops. They're, they're not a loop which repeat themselves, but it's a loop of a sound that turned a gesture. I never thought of it as a sound, but a gesture. Oh, you know, like this cry. And and it, it it's like a planet. It goes, it has a life of its own. And then another one, another one. I have, I think I have seven or eight of them. And, and, um, and they were all on these giant loops in my mind. They really weren't. Where they would disappear and come back and reform with other ones. So it ha- it didn't have a structure like like a traditional piece. Both both silver apples and the wild bull, and even touch have a a sense of traditional um, composition. Where a sidewinder was not. It had these these big giant loops I, that I played with. I did. It was not like a an algorithm that I set these things in motion. But but I it was the idea, the metaphor of these things were. You know, Halley's comet comes back every seventy years, and 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 that kind of stuff. So I, that that was the basis of it, and then created um, a world where things more often returned on side two than they did on side one, and things that didn't uh, come came closer and stayed longer on side two. But everything was constantly moving in that that way. So it did have a kind of I didn't think of it as sound design, but a kind of uh, um, natural, uni- you know, kind of a universe quality. Mm-hmm. It's probably the most um, the most successful in terms of a new idea uh, of structure. Uh, I didn't use it again. I used a different one for every piece until I came to the end. Uh, last two have used the same metaphor because I I finally solved the problem. <laughs> you reached the goal. Well, I I would really like to hear. You know, I I've been listening to a lot of your um, early work, as well as your non bukla work. But Kyle doesn't want us to get too far into that because this is a bukla podcast. Mm-hmm. But in the um, now you perform with the two hundred e, or you have been performing with the two hundred e with uh, some external controls, you know, the various MIDI things. And and I was curious about kind of what you thought about the modern 200E experience versus the um, the 100-200 experience, both in terms of using the instrument and in how you compose for it. Well, um, yeah, it's a good question. I'm the, the real issue for me, I stopped using analog equipment entirely after um, A Sky of Cloudless Sulfur. That was my last uh, vinyl. And um, and I went on to other things that I had intended to do, which was working with instruments and electronics. That was the ghost pieces. And then theatrical pieces or more stage using visuals and things. I did a huge, well, four or five really big pieces. Um, and um, and I, I sort of came to an end with that whole work. And when my my last um, the, theatrical piece, I'll get, I'll, 
I could forget what the question was, but I haven't. I'm coming to it. I, I you can remind take, me. Take your time. You'll get there. I'm trying to give you some, you know, real information here. So when uh, when I got to my last one, it was uh, an opera. It was called Jacob's Room, and it, it it has several incarnations. But the last one was um, a full fledged opera with electronics and and four cellos, supposed to be a cello section of an orchestra, but it was four cellos and um, and I can't remember, five or six singers and uh, very and live live visuals being made. And um, uh, it, it, was, it was a big production. It, it, it was premiered, it was commissioned by, uh, by a group in, um, in, in Berlin and Austria and it toured Germany and, and Austria. Um, and when we were getting ready for the premiere, um, they, they told me um, that they'd like me to, I was doing some live performances just with the computer because I, I needed money like everybody <laughs> needs money. And, um, but, but I hadn't done much and, um, and I wasn't really satisfied with the whole process. And, and, but they said, I, I had this guy who was doing visuals and um, I hadn't worked with a visual artist since I had worked with Tony Martin. And so um, we got together and they said, we'd like you to do a little tour of Europe uh, performing with with him so that we can build up interest in the young people to come to, to the opera. And so they they had us perform in in Austria because it was going to be premiered in Austria. They had us perform the first time at a uh, this tiny country. What's what's it's called? Um, Liechtenstein. Liechtenstein. Yeah. Yeah. Um, nice at, call, Robert. at the museum of modern <laughs> art that they have there, and so. Um, Don was wanting me to take get the 200D. I said, I don't want to take the equipment with me anymore. I don't, you know, I'm finished with that. And so when they said this, we we're going to go several places, I thought, well, maybe I should just get it and take it on the tour. So um, um, I went out to San Francisco and put a bunch of modules together. And it, he showed me the few things I needed to know that, that allowed me to go the rest of the way. And, and uh, so I... I brought it with with me to Liechtenstein, and I had it patched for a very simple little things. If anyone wanted me to demonstrate it, but I didn't play on it. I I did my usual thing with the computer, and um, and the audience went crazy. They just loved it, and they wanted an encore. So I thought, I don't know what an encore. What do you do for an encore? So I, I looked over at the bukla, and I thought, I'll just improvise. So I. I had this little patch and I improvised with the visual artist and it was so much fun. I mean, I was back 20 years, 30 years in the past. I was having such a wonderful time and the audience went crazy. They, they were, we, we, we did two or three of these, these, these improvisations. And at that point I thought, wow, this is great. And so I, I started working with it and, um, and, that was 19, uh, 2010, 2010, okay. I think. Hmm. And um, and so then I started taking, I started accepting public performances and been working with Lillivad 
the, the visual artist ever since. And, you know, I, a couple of years ago, when the, the, I, I did something like, oh, I was gone for like three or four months doing concerts all over the world. Um, and um, it was the and 50th anniversary of Silver Apple, so I, whenever, whenever that would have been. Um, and um, so I've been working ever since. And what's happened with, with the 200E for me is that um, I'm only using a part of it. I'm using right now, I'm just using one, two, three. I'm just using four modules right now. Because um, oh, wow. um, I'm not, as, as much as I'm linked to the book, I, it, 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 I mean, that was a, that was a moment, and it did. It was the only thing that could do what I wanted because it was designed for me, so it could do what I wanted. Um, mm -hmm. And so, a lot of what's in the 200E is really clever and and very well done. I think it's a really beautiful instrument that he made. But a lot of that I can do in the computer, and I don't have to carry a lot of stuff around. But, but so, what I've done since we've had the, especially since we've had the this thing with the the pandemic. Um, I've been just sitting here in my studio all day long, and I've had, I have a lot of time. So I, I've made a very almost scientific study of what I can do absolutely just as well with um, the computer that I can in the in the Brooklyn. I've, I'm down to four modules that I can't get. There's just nothing that does it, and they're in very important modules, but they're. Um, there, there are four modules, so everything else is being done in the computer. And the idea of trying to produce for the first time in my career, my lifetime, uh, a true version of what you do in public with the same notion that I had in the in the original idea of the of the composer being um, visual, you know, a, a painter like. A studio artist and what what you do in in public and because um, there is an element in of the studio artist that a composer musician artist vis I mean sound artist has that that no visual artist has and it, 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 a painter has at least and that is we work with time so I I have a I have taken I I just love the 200D I think it's wonderful I, I don't use I have all the stuff, but I don't use, use them all anymore. I use I use whatever I can. Just what you were saying. I have things. For instance, I have this little Korg thing that has an X Y Z uh, pad that works every bit as well as the Buchla. Um, um, you know, so I and I don't have to carry a bunch of stuff around. Um, mm -hmm. And what I don't get I can make samples of and use them and modulate them in real time. So what what I take now is is the bukla along uh, I don't know will you hear anything if I do this? See can try it. Yeah. yeah. I'm playing this live. <laughs> Thank you. 
So I could just, I just, cool. I can improvise, right? Um, and but I but I've been working on this instrument for improvisation, which is this little thing I've got here. <laughs> I mean, it's a great sound. Yeah, that's great. It's, and that you can't hear it, but but when I hit it, um, it 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 with the sound is it's wiggling through space at the same time. But I I can get any pitch I want. Any length, um, just as easily as all that. It's just a little um, a, um, launch pad that I've been I've programmed, um, and it's happening in real time with a bukla. These are all the bukla things. I I can't get anything like that in the computer that 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 has gives me that kind of um, quality. So, what are the four modules that you're well, doing? Well, I've got uh, one, one of them. There's really only three. One of them is the um, module that converts voltage from um, from MIDI into okay. control voltages. Uh, Two twenty-five. That's years. a very important one in, in here. So I can get. Um, well, I won't give you the patch. It's really complicated, <laughs> but it's beautiful. And anyway, so that's one. The, the real modules are um, the oscillate. This is all from the same oscillator that you're listening to. One oscillator doing all these different things. Um, it's an analog, uh, the analog oscillator. I have three outputs from it. Um, and and so the, it's the 200 oscillator. And a, the 261E? Pardon? The 200E, the yeah. Yeah. And that's all 200E. And, and the, um, the VCA is like nothing else in the world. Yeah. I thought the envelope generators were, but I can actually, what I'm getting is absolutely, it will. Um, so it's, um, it's, they're absolutely, I, I, I A-B'd them as much as I could, and I, I can't hear the difference between the, you know, the bukla and what I'm getting here. So, um, but the voltage control amplifier is, I can show you, um, it's, whoops, what happened here? I lost it, oh. No, I can't show you right now. Um, uh, the difference. Oh, I see what I did. I, I don't want to get into it. It'll take too much time. But uh, <laughs> I, uh, it's a it, the the um, the VCA is really incredible. And then I use a, an older module. That it's 200e, but it's um, it's one that that produces envelopes and it's got voltage processing. So I can bring, I can bring things from the computer back into here to control aspects of the sound that's going to be going out. Um, I also have my voice that comes in, and uh, which I don't have in this right in this patch. So I can actually modify my voice both in the computer coming out, mixing with these different things in live that, um, that I'm doing. So 
that's the, the they're they're very powerful modules. The ones that I've the the three that I'm using, and the other one is is um, it's also powerful, but it's 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 the the umbilical cord to the digital. It allows me to get back and forth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was thinking. I mean, uh, yeah, I've been listening to your music a, a whole lot these last couple of weeks, um, leading up to talking to you, and and um, definitely like kind of around until spring, where you had the two hundred system and the um, the low pass gates changed, and they had the Vactrels in them, and um, they're so punctual and visceral in that. Um, yeah, well, so what you're listening to here, this is an offshoot of that. Yeah, well, yeah, but the um, I think that that design um, and the way you perform with it, um, it makes sense that it's still with you know when you've pared down all your modules that that's still a piece of it. Yeah, I, I started back with touch. That's where I first got this thing on the envelope. People have tried to imitate that that envelope, but what they don't realize is that the envelope is actually controlling pitches well at the beginning. It creates a transient. Um, I use two envelope generators used. I don't need to do that. I'm using, in this sound you're hearing, whoops, uh, this sound, I'm using four different envelopes. And they're coming in controlling pitch change. Right, there are four different envelopes going at the same time, and I have different different things that I hit that can make different combinations of those um, those four. It's a really complicated envelope. It doesn't sound that way. It sounds just organic, but the organic is pretty complicated compared <laughs> to you know attack and decay or attack sustain and decay. It's a lot more complicated than that, and uh, so I've duplicated the vocal. Thing, which I had to do in the original with my voice. Now I can actually produce them electronically. They're, and I use my voice too, but uh, to make samples mostly and then some live stuff with it. So are you, have you been recording this uh, these experiments? No. I, I do recording, <laughs> yeah. I do recording that I, are samples uh, from the piece. They're, they're, they're vocal samples um, that, that I bring because they combined with my voice, um, my live voice. Um, but I don't do records because this is this is for live performance. There it's a it's this matrix of stuff that are all for one piece. It's a it's my probably my final piece at 87. I can't imagine I'm gonna do many more after this, but um but um it it's called I Live and Breathe is the new is the new piece. I performed it last season and I'll be perfecting it. And it's all for live performance um, with, with Lilavan and it incorporates uh, visuals as well. And I use my voice breathing and singing and talking a little bit, but mostly articulating things like and I have that. I sample those and I use them live and play off of myself on doing this stuff electronically mm. and so forth. So it's it's um, it's my final version. I'm documenting it, and I'll eventually have a um, a download 
of my technologies over the years that will be just a free download for people to be able to, because uh, that way they'll be able, I can talk and, you know, play things. You can't do it in a book and, um, and it'll just be available along, oh, that'd be great. along with the memoirs that, you know, hopefully I've been working on for about six years now. I'm excited for all those things. <laughs> well, any last questions from you, Robert? You should probably let him go. Oh, yeah. I mean, I've started asking questions. He's, he's going to be here another hour. <laughs> <laughs> just to, just to um, pair, uh, come back to your question about the 200E. The 200E, I mean, first of all, the, none of these are instruments. They're, they're modules that you put together to make an instrument. Um, but from Dan, Don's standpoint, he was making... Um, he, he was making um, the 200E was an instrument that you could add modules to and take away from, but um, but it meant that you were doing everything with the analog thing. And I never, I, I, you know, in the beginning, there was nothing you could do but make your own thing. And so yeah. I'm perfectly happy to use my thumb if it could do everything and not have to have any kind of synthesizer, but it doesn't do everything. So it, it's, for me, the design, going back to the 200 which was really beautiful beautiful instrument um I'm using that in a different way but um uh, it so it takes that beautiful design that he had basically to make a nutshell statement for from it 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 allows you to have almost everything voltage control even things you can't imagine why because <laughs> those are the things that allow your brain to, to get excited and use in different kinds of ways. Um, but if I can do it without carrying equipment, that's much better for me or anyone, I think. So I don't, I don't use the analog unless there's some real reason to do it. And I use um, any piece of existing equipment um, that satisfies my need and is cheap enough to use. So I have a couple of, you know, Vader things and um, um, the Korg stuff is fine. I have to keep buying them because they break, but um, <laughs> but they do what, um, you know, what they're supposed to do and, and so forth. So the 200D is great, but I don't think of it as a, what I'm trying to say is I don't think of it as a collection that, you actually play. I put things together sometimes to make sound, uh, a sound palette or gestural palette that I'm going to use in a particular way and make samples of it. And then I can use those samples and modify them in real time. So I don't have to bring the whole system to, um, to do. There are a lot of things like that that I might do. But when I go on the road, I don't, I just take the poor modules. Well, yeah. Well, thanks so much. I'm, I'm, uh, yeah, hoping you're, we're going to get opportunities to, to come see you play the, all the, this, where are you? You um, piece live. We're on the West Coast. We're in Seattle area. Yeah, well, I'm going to be doing it at, in San Francisco, um, oh. as soon as we're able to. I did, did a version of it last season. It went really well. And so we, we're scheduled to do it whenever we get open enough to, yeah. um, to do it. And so um, I'll, I'll try to keep you in mind. 
What's the best way for people, Mort, to find your music and find out where you're performing? Well, the best way would be on my website, except I haven't touched it for over a year. So um, <laughs> it was two years. So hopefully I'll get that back going. So I used to keep it lit going, but um, it it got so complicated that I, I had stopped. And now it's not complicated at all because we're not going anywhere. <laughs> so hopefully out by the fall, I'll get that going again. That would cool. be the best way great well yeah once again thanks so much for for being on the show it's uh an honor to have you on well thank you we'd like to thank morton sabotnik for being on the show check out mortonsabotnik.com for more information about morton's music check out tim held's podcast the podular modcast also check out Ben Wilson and Ad Ball's Esoteric Modulation Podcast, both great podcasts. Visit waveformmagazine.com for more details on how to subscribe to the Quarterly Synthesizer Magazine. If you want to help support the show, you can do so through Patreon at patreon.com slash sourceofuncertainty. You can find out more about the show or contact us through our website, sourceofuncertainty.audio. We'd love to hear from you. Find us on Instagram at sourceofuncertainty. And... Thanks for listening for one year. Yeah, thanks very much. We love you. I said we love you. Hey, all right. All right. Yes. Uh, okay, that's enough. That's enough. That's enough. Okay. Okay. <laughs>